You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. There will be breakthrough. I love that part. If this is your first time with us tonight, I want to encourage you to fill out this connection card and fill it out on your way out. We have a special gift for you. But it says in Isaiah 40, verse 28, Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young man shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Thank you again for joining us tonight as we worship. Glory to God. It's a pleasure to be here with you guys. And I have some exciting news that I want to share with you guys. But first, I'm going to ask you to have a seat because I know you guys have been worshiping with us. Um, And the reason I wanted you guys to have a seat in addition to that is we here at Southridge, we believe that everybody has a next step. And the first step you take after becoming part of the family is joining Growth Tracks. And if you haven't heard of Growth Tracks, it's the launching pad for being part of Southridge. It's a launch pad for you to get connected and serving here at the church. And today we have eight graduates from Growth Tracks here with us today. That's right. So I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna ask those eight people that were in growth tracks to stand up here with me if you are a graduate. One, two, three. Uh, we have Debbie in the back. There we go. We have Tim. We got Mike Wallace up there. Yeah, give him a hand clap really loud. Celebrate with them, amen. Amen, amen, amen. It is such a blessing to have them and a privilege to be able to share the class with them. If you guys want to be a part of that, I highly encourage you. We have that coming up right now. At the end of September, we'll get on relaunch growth tracks and I want you to be a part of that. If you've been coming to Southridge for a while and you don't know what it is, this is the time to get connected. So I'll be in the back after the service and I would love for you guys to sign up for growth tracks and be a part of that. God bless you guys. Best miss out. Can you stay here for a moment? All right. Uh, I'm not a big social media guy, so I didn't see that it was his birthday on Tuesday. And uh, yes, yes. And his amazing wife is just too humble to let me know. And uh, luckily, Brian was just happened to be in the office and said, happy birthday. And I just had no clue. So I felt terrible, bought him Carl's Jr., you know, to kind of make up for it. But I wanted to publicly say our appreciation as a church. We love you. We're praying for you. I got you a little something, a little something from the church. And uh, we got to sing happy birthday. And uh, so here we go. Uh, our second worship service led by our new worship leader who will one and only appearance let's sing together happy birthday here we go ready happy birthday to you happy birthday to you 
Happy birthday, dear Pastor Misael. Happy birthday to you. God bless you. Happy birthday. God bless. All right. We sure do love our team that God has provided here at Southridge. Some amazing people. And we just want to make sure that uh, they are embarrassed after their birthday. So we sing to them. And I got a few announcements. And as we turn to Acts chapter number 12. So if you have a copy of God's word, you can turn to Acts chapter number 12, but as you're doing so, Jane and I this summer decided to do a couple things. We decided that we were gonna read a book on marriage and then a book on raising children, parenting. And we just discovered that we, we could use all the help that we could get, and I know especially even now with COVID, many of you are now doing online learning, so you have now taken extra responsibilities on top of the ones that you already have as being a parent, Many of you are working on top of that, preparing meals, keeping your children alive. Now you've got to make sure they are educated. And believe it or not, you guys are doing a tremendous job. And so I would love to invite you to a parenting conference that's actually going to be hosted here at Calvary. It's coming up in November. But I just know that we all could use that help, especially if you're raising children in this day and age. It's sure tempting to... You know, just kind of let them watch whatever, let them hang around whoever and, and never check up on what are the shows they're watching, teaching? Hey, what are those apps they're on? What, what's going on in those apps? Who else is watching them on those apps? Hey, who are they chatting with in these in-game apps where they can chat? You know, so there's all these things that are going on. And so I want to invite all the parents, if you still have children at home, and maybe some of you say, well, I have grown kids that just won't leave home. Where's the conference for that? I don't, I don't have a conference for that, but uh, this is one I'd love to invite you to attend. There are flyers in the back. If you'd like to attend, there's a small fee because they have uh, speakers that are going to be coming in. And so if you'd like to attend, this actually be in November. So you've got plenty of time to register and pay off the $50 per couple. It includes resources, materials, and things like that. But I'd love for as many of our church families to attend as possible. I think this would be a great help. Well, Acts chapter number 12. And we're going to dive in. What a powerful time of worship that we had. I love this time that we just get to spend together. And so we get to be together again. Let's turn our attention towards God's word with open Bibles and open hearts and minds that are ready to be renewed by the reading of Scripture, by the time that we can spend together in God's word. And I want to talk about something that's just bothered me ever since I've been alive, and that's being short. It's short. It's it kind of... It's just bothered me. Now, I know some of you are like, hey, pastor, uh, I got you beat. I'm not as tall as you are. Uh, I know, but still, uh, it just kind of gets old when you're trying to get the cereal box that's at the top, and you're doing one of this in the aisles, you know, and a worker has to come along, you know, or, or not even that, you know, like, hey, you're in your own house, and your wife hands you a dish that needs to go up above the refrigerator because there's that little whoever wanted to put that up there, that cabinet. So you're, you're like... I got to get a chair. I got to get a footstool. And it just hurts my, my heart. You know, it just kind of wounds my ego, my pride. Like, I'm on tippy toes. God. And, and you're stretching for everything you've got. I mean, can we just commiserate some of us that are not as tall as Adam or Eugene? Like, you know, sometimes we just wonder, what's it like up there? Like, you know, is it a whole nother world up there, isn't it? You know, you could just reach stuff, you know. I mean, it just must be so much easier. And I look at our children. They are famous for reaching for things, aren't they? Things that aren't theirs. I mean, you're, you're in the shopping, got them in the shopping cart, 
and they're just reaching for stuff. As, as far as their little hands can reach, they just reach. And it just seems like they just stretch for whatever they can stretch for, right? And it's amazing to me how even as they're younger, if mom or dad comes home, they haven't been home for a while, all of a sudden the kids come running out, especially when they were little toddlers. Remember when your kids were little toddlers? Some of you have toddlers. This is a regular occurrence for you. And they see mom, they see dad. Maybe they're coming out of school. or Maybe dad's just getting off of work. And what do they do? Man, they reach up their hands just as, just as much as they can stretch their hands to you. Even though they know you're coming towards them, even though you know they, they see you and they know you're coming, they still just reach for you. They stretch out their hands. And it's almost as if they're wanting to say, I want you as soon as I can get my hands on you. And they stretch out. Or maybe your children, they can't quite reach something. And they stretch and they stretch. You ever pick up your little kids? Maybe they want to play basketball or maybe they want to reach something. And you pick them up and all of a sudden they just feel like they're just way up there in the sky. They feel so high up in the air. And of course, all the moms in the room get nervous when the dad's in the room. We hold up our kids. And then we try to do this one-handed, like, you know, palm our children as their little infants, you know. It freaks every mom out, but every dad's just so proud they can palm their baby. I, I don't know what it is. It's just like, yes, you've arrived as a man. You've palmed your baby in the air, and you've now got them dangling, you know. And at that moment, they just feel like they can just reach and touch the sky. And I thought about stretching today. Some of you enjoy stretching. Some of you enjoy yoga. It feels good to stretch. In the morning, you stretch. You know what stretching really is? Stretching is, for you, it's you trying to reach something that you can't reach. That's what stretching is. When you stretch for something, you reach out to something that is just without your reach. In this year, 2020, there's been a lot of things you've probably reached for that were just outside of your reach. And I've learned that that's what prayer does. Prayer is you and I stretching to heaven, saying, God, I can't reach this, but I know you can. And God is our heavenly father, just like our earthly fathers would pick us up and help us to reach things that were otherwise we could never reach. That's what prayer does. Prayer is actually stretching. Because if you could get it on your own, you wouldn't need to pray for it, would you? And you wouldn't pray for it. That's why there's certain things we don't pray for, even though scripture says to even pray for our daily bread. But how often do we really pray for our daily bread? You say, well, there was a period where I didn't have any work and I couldn't work. So, yeah, then I was praying. But, but for the most part, we're not praying for these things. But what happened to that stretching? Or maybe you are in a season where you say, Pastor, I'm not stretching. I'm being stretched. You're like a rubber band. And it just seems like I don't know how much stretching I could take. Like there's only so much before I'm just gonna snap before I'm just gonna just kind of break like I don't know if this is making you anxious it's making me kind of anxious at any moment that I'm just gonna get snapped here in a moment but it's like how soon until this just kind of how much more can it take it's almost like now you're starting to bet like how much more until that rubber band just snaps you know and it's just like is it gonna go that's a really good rubber band I don't know who made these rubber bands but that is an amazing rubber band but it just seems like that's your life right now. 
You say, God, you're stretching me, and I don't think I could stretch anymore because this season's been stretching us. It's been pulling us in areas where we say, I'm not supposed to stretch like that. I remember when I first started going to the gym, they would have a night where they would say, hey, it helps muscle recovery, helps muscle strength if you stretch out before and after and then do a little bit of yoga. Just It helps your muscles. And I was like, I'm not supposed to bend like that. You know, there's, I'm not, my body's not supposed to turn into a little pretzel. And then you see those people that are doing all these crazy moves, and you're like, that's not natural. That's not normal. And it's something about stretching. You feel like God is stretching you in this season. And stretching is bringing us to a point of prayer. You see, a prayer request is really just a reach. Your request is really a reach for something you cannot get. And here's what the Bible tells us. What is out of your reach is under his reign. What is out of your reach is always under God's reign. God has it. So here's what the Bible says in the book of Isaiah. He says, certainly the hand of the Lord is not short that it cannot save, nor his ear so dull that it cannot hear. So in this season where we feel like we're being stretched, and many of us feel like we need to stretch, I want to encourage us to see stretching and prayer as the most important thing we can do. So now as we turn our attention to Acts chapter number 12, notice verse number 1. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. You say, Pastor, that's not the kind of stretching I want to do. That's not what I wanted to hear about. I know. What he did is he stretched out his hand, verse number two, then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And this pleased a lot of people. So here you see one of the first martyrs that Jesus talked about. This is uh, one of the sons of thunder. You know that there was the inner three, Peter, James, and John. This is one of the inner three that followed Jesus. He had the 12, but then he had his three core. And this is the first time uh, the apostle of Jesus has now been martyred. This shocked the church. It shocked the church when Stephen was martyred, but this is even more so. And we see that Herod, who was very unpopular in this time, realized that the people liked when he murdered James. Herod is the great-grandson of Herod, who in Jesus' day murdered all the babies in Bethlehem. So it's in that same line of murderers. History records that James had such a strong testimony that the church historians record that even the guards who were guarding James also died with James because of his final testimony. They converted at the last moment and died with him. He had such a powerful testimony. He truly was one of the sons of thunder. He had what we would call guts and gospel. Verse number three, the Bible says, and because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Verse 5, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. There's a problem I have in that verse. You say, what is it? Peter was sleeping. Did you not understand the next day he's going to be executed? And this guy just took a sleeping pill and was out 
like no problem. Like I, I, this is amazing, this guy can just sleep anywhere. He's chained to guards and he's snoring on one of their shoulders, drooling right on his shoulder and it's like no big deal. This guy has a peace that passes all understanding, does he not? And so we see Peter, he's asleep. Now verse seven, now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, this is, he, he, had to, he had to strike him. The angel couldn't wake him up. It wasn't one of these gentle things. It's like waking one of you up. You know, it's like you can't just, it's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. You know, and some of you have that alarm clock. You know, you got that, it sounds all nice and gentle. And then finally, it's like, hey, you. Yeah, you, idiot, wake up. You know, it just kind of has to really get firm. This is the angel. This guy's in a really deep sleep. He has to strike him to wake him up. Some of you don't find the Bible interesting. I find it so interesting. He says, arise quickly. When we obey God, notice what happens, and his chains fell off his hands. No key. See what happens when we obey God? God does miracles. Many of us are not obeying God. We wonder why the chains aren't falling. Obey first, chains fall second. You want God to prove it first by God. No, no, no. Break the chains, then I'll rise. No, obedience always precedes blessing. Scripture is teaching us tonight. Verse 8, then the angel said to him, gird up yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him. And he did not know that what was done by the angel was real. But he thought he was seeing a vision. He thought this is all a dream. He thought this is a good dream. I'm dreaming. I'm having a prison break. Verse 10, when they were past the first and second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angels departed from him. In verse 11, and when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked on the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, you are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. They said to her, it is an angel. We're talking about stretching. And they thought Rhoda was stretching the truth that Peter was there. Come on, I worked on that all week. Come on, you got to give me something. That, that was good, all right? They thought she was stretching the truth. They didn't believe that Peter was at the door. Even though they had been praying the entire time, they didn't actually expect their prayers to work. Isn't that encouraging? Because sometimes you and I pray, and we're kind of like, I don't know if this will work. And then God has to literally knock at the door and say, hey, the deliverance is here. And we're still like, I didn't know deliverance was at the door. And we're still hesitant so I see in this passage, in the first verses that we read, we see there's persecution, we meet Peter, there's a prison, and then they give in to prayer, not panic. And that's a great lesson for this season. Don't give in to panic. I know many of us want to give in to panic. We're seeing the economy. We're seeing the riots. We are seeing the wildfires. We are seeing murdering. We are seeing the uh, uh, 
political stuff happening, and we are seeing our uh, schools closed. We're seeing shelter in place. And then we got the great announcement from our governor that he said this thing will be with us for a long time. That was very encouraging from him, just what we needed to hear as we went into our weekend. And so many of us, we're stepping back, and we want to panic, and we would say this is a perfect time to panic. But I love the early church. They said instead of panicking, let's go to Mary's house, and let's start praying because praying is stretching, stretching for what we can't do, stretching for what we can't reach, stretching for what we can't have. So let's all get together and let's stretch together. Let's go to the place where we can stretch. Let's all stretch together. And that's what we're doing this evening. Each and every one of us has something. In business, they call it a stretch goal. Raise your hand. You ever heard of a stretch goal? It's a short little goal that you have to hit. You got a month to hit this goal. And this is our stretch goal. Hey, church, why don't we have any stretch goals? How come we don't have any Christians with some stretch faith that say, hey, I'm going to stretch myself in this season because I know my God can come through with this stretch goal. So guess what? Let's set some stretch goals in this season. Even though we're tempted to panic, we're going to give in to prayer because prayer is stretching to God to meet the needs that you and I cannot meet. So we stretch out to God. And God is a good heavenly father that reaches down and says, I've got you. I've been looking for some children who would stretch to me and then I can meet that need. But too often, we don't want to stretch. But understand, and please write this down, prayer is stretching. But you say, Pastor, I don't see them stretching. I see Herod stretching. I don't see the church stretching. Well, you missed it. It's in verse number five. Let's read it again. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. You say, I still don't see it. Well, understand, the Bible was not originally written in English. Now, was it? No. It was written in Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. This passage was written in Greek. The Greek word for constant is where we get our same word, stretch. It's right there. You just got to dig a little deeper. It says they were stretching for something they could not attain. It's the same word, constant, stretching, because that's what stretching feels like. When are we going to be over? This is going on forever. You ever been in a weird pose stretching? You just feel like, are we done? And then they're counting down. And then the nice little lady or the nice flexible dude is just like, now 10 more seconds. And you're just like, I'm going to beat your face in five, okay? We're just not doing this much longer. And it's almost that same idea that we've got to stretch. This early church is stretching. I got a question for you. Do you have any stretch marks? That might be a personal question now, isn't it? Nobody likes to talk about their stretch marks. But here in this passage, here was a church that said, we're going to have some stretch marks. We're going to make sure that we are stretching because we're going to be seeking God. And in this season, the best thing that we can do is not gossip and not fret and not panic, but to pray and to stretch out for our president, stretch out for our governor, stretch out for elected officials, stretch out for our neighbors, stretch out for our family, stretch out for our coworkers, stretch out for our church, stretch out for revival. That's what we're supposed to do in this season because prayer is stretching. Harvard Health says stretching keeps muscles flexible, strong, and healthy. I think the same is true for a Christian. Prayer keeps us flexible. When life sends us into turbulent times, it helps us to adapt. It keeps us strong because we're on our knees, and we're never stronger than when we're on our knees because that's where the battle is won. We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and rulers in high places. So how do we wrestle? How do we fight? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds and 
that's what prayer does. But many a Christian has given up on their greatest weapon, and we've relegated to praying three times a day. Lord, bless this breakfast. Lord, bless this lunch. And Lord, yeah, I guess, bless the leftover dinner too. That's not stretching. That is not even prayer, my friend. The church needs to be called back to old-time prayer where we fall on our knees, fall on our faces, and we stay there until the Holy Spirit of God meets with us, until we see change in our homes, change in our family, change within our hearts. That is stretching. We've lost how to stretch in the church. We don't know how to reach for things that are out of our reach. But here was this church that said, guess what? Peter's in prison. Let's get to prayer. They didn't protest. They didn't riot. They didn't burn anything down. They said, let's go to prayer. The church in this hour needs to get to praying because prayer is so powerful, but yet the world doesn't know it because nobody's praying. If Christians would get back to prayer, we could see this world shaken to its very core, and God will move. Oh, God, rend the heavens. Come down, Father. That's what God wants to do. He wants to meet with us. I read this week in Psalms chapter number 119 where it said, it is time Lord for you to work. And I prayed that verse over and over and over this week because it is time for God to work. And I prayed it because it's his word. Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do. Have we not forgotten the promises of God's word. Let's get back where he says, let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace. Today I was reading in Romans chapter number eight where it says there is a Holy Spirit that constantly makes requests before the throne of God with groanings which cannot be uttered. I skip down a little bit further in the same chapter of Romans chapter number eight where it says Jesus stands at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. There's not just one person praying at the throne of heaven for you. There is two. It is Jesus and the Holy Spirit who are constantly praying for you, stretching for you, stretching for your children, stretching for our nation. Why can't we stretch? Would Jesus look at you and I like he did in the Garden of Gethsemane and say, could you not watch but one hour? Could you not stretch for an hour? Could you not pray? Many of us, we set our alarm. We say, I'm going to pray for 30 minutes. And then it seems like hours and hours and hours of just time wrestling with God. And we look at our watch. It's been three minutes and 45 seconds. We're thinking, this is going to take some time. Because we failed how to stretch before God. But here was a church that said, it's time to stretch. So there's a connection between strength and stretching, and this church decided to have around-the-clock reaching, where they said, we're going to reach out to heaven around the clock, come over to Mary's house, and we're just going to be there, and we're going to keep praying, and we're going to keep asking for God to move. You say, why was this group any different? Because James... He died. What happened? This group said, we got to stretch. We can't do it like we did with James. We got to pray for Peter in a different way. I've noticed that we're different when we're desperate. Let me say it again. We're different when we're desperate. Let me ask you, church, when are we going to get desperate for God? When are we going to get desperate? What does it take? How many more cities got to burn? How many more innocent have to die? How many more people have to go to jail? How many more churches got to get fined? How many more people got to get sick? How much more of this can we take before the church gets desperate? Are we not desperate? What more? I look at the news and I'm thinking, God, I'm desperate. You don't need to do any more. I go outside and I see that the air quality hasn't been good for weeks. And I'm saying, God, I'm desperate. 
I look at our nation, I look at a nation that's forgotten God, and I'm saying, God, I'm desperate. I look at people as they are literally living out Romans 1. We live in a a nation that glorifies all the wrong things. It calls evil good and good evil. And I'm saying I'm desperate now. And then I look at the landscape of churches, and they say, shut them down, let's go online. I'm thinking, no, are we not desperate for God? Where's the church people that say, I'm desperate for him? Because when you are desperate, you will be different. And this church people, they were different. Let me ask you a question. Do you really care about what you're praying for? You see, when you care, when you're desperate, you'll pray differently. I grew up in a smaller church in Fresno, and we would do what was called midweek prayer meetings. Anybody ever gone to a midweek prayer meeting, you know? And we'd go there, and there was no Sunday school. There's no classes, and so we'd all gather. And I just remember that you would have a time, you would sing songs, but then they would do prayer requests. And Lord, help us during that prayer request, because some people have no filter in what they share in a mixed audience. And I was just thinking in my 10-year-old mind, this probably shouldn't have been shared in a little room like this with all of us, just uh, all of us putting it out there and, and then afterward we would dismiss and you get in a group and, and you'd, you'd pray with whoever you wanted to get in a group with and, and, and you just didn't ever want to be the odd person out to have nobody to pray with you know and so I just remember as people make requests I remember every week one guy he would always say pray for my prostate I was 10 I didn't know what prostate was and I just remember God help his prostate oh God I don't know what a prostate is but help it I didn't know how to pray for that I didn't know what that was But here I am, and I was thinking, this is dumb. I'm not passionate about this. I'm not desperate about prostate, though it's serious, though you should get that checked. But I was just thinking, where's the church come to? That the biggest prayer request that we all need to dismiss this prayer meeting afterward and the 80 of us need to go afterward, and we got to pray for so-and-so. I mean, it's just like, hey, pray for Auntie Nellie's bunion. You know, I'm just thinking, looking on these prayer, we have these prayer requests, these long sheets, and none of it was for revival or missionaries or life change or broken addiction or anything. It was all about, like, health things. And I was thinking, there's a problem in the church. All of our prayer requests are about nothing. There's not anything that we're really desperate for God. So when we're not desperate, we won't pray differently. So get a prayer request that really means something to you, saying, God, I'm going to start around the clock reaching and get things where you say, I'm desperate for this. Because prayer is stretching, but also prayer is getting set to go. Notice verse 8, the Bible says this, Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did, and he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. I think that's interesting. You say, why? Why does the angel care if he's got his clothes on and his sandals on? What's the big deal? I mean, you and I are probably looking at this thinking, why, why get ready? But understand, this is a huge point. It's something very important for you and I to be ready to put our shoes on. Because the angel was letting Peter know, we're walking out of here. And I'm jealous of Peter for this reason. Because Peter's an interesting character. Because Peter's going to walk through walls in this passage. Matter of fact, the Bible says the gate is just going to open to itself. The gate's going to open of its own accord. Peter not only walked through walls, but if you know Peter, in Luke chapter number 5, Peter also walks on water. This guy gets to walk in some incredible places. But you know why he got to do those things? He had his shoes on. He was ready. How many times are we not ready to pray? Come with the heart that's ready. 
We cleared our calendar. We set some time aside. We got a journal open with prayer requests ready to go. We don't let our mind ramble. We know what we're praying for. We know that when we go to prayer, we're praying over specific things. That's why we have a prayer list, not just, hey, whatever somebody else has. No, no, I got burning prayer requests and things that I'm asking God specifically for, things that I may not even share with anybody else because I want to make sure that God answers my request. So I fill up journals with prayer requests because I'm ready. When I get on my knees, I'm doing battle with the enemy, and I'm asking from heaven heaven's help as I am reaching and stretching for things that I can't do for myself. And so I've got to write these things down. I've got to put on my shoes, folks. i got to be ready. How many Christians are not ready? And God's saying, hey, come out of this bondage. Come out of this prison. And we're just like, oh, I'm good. God's like, come on. Prayer is getting set to go. So put your shoes on. You see, Peter was ready to get going. But I love this. Peter puts his clothes on, but he doesn't ask where we're going. You see, he got dressed even though he didn't know the destination. Isn't that powerful? He didn't know where he was going. James just got executed. So what is happening now? Are are, are we getting out of here? What's going on? But he didn't ask questions. He just obeyed. Hey, church, this is a reoccurring thing for every Christian. We just obey. We stop asking questions. Well, God, how is this going to turn out? God, are you going to be with me? God, are you going to bless me? How about we just say, God, let me just get these shoes on. Let me just, yeah, I'm coming. I'm coming. Come on. Let's go. Let's, let's get out of this prison. I'm ready. Why is it we got to always wait and get coaxed and warmed up, and we got to, you know, limber up and, and do one of these, and okay, just hang on. Let me, you know, don't want to pull anything, you know, and just, just waiting a little bit. Come on, why can't we as Christians just be ready to go? When God calls us, we say, yes, sir, I'm ready, reporting in. Put me in, I'm ready to go. I used to play sports. I was short, so that means I played left bench. And, man, I would sit there, and I would just be on the edge of the bench because I knew if the coach wasn't going to put me in unless I showed that I'm hungry, unless I wanted to go. Most of us Christians, are we do this. We know the teacher, they're going to ask everybody in the class a question. We start doing this. I'm not making eye contact with you, God. Don't call on me, God. Call on Susie. You know, she's really smart. She has glasses, so she's smart. Yeah, she's, she's good. We're not ready to go. As a matter of fact, we don't want to go. We say, God, I'm quite comfortable in this prison. We're like Pharaoh. You ever studied Pharaoh? Moses says, are you tired of these frogs? And what did Pharaoh say? Yeah, deliver me from these frogs, but not just yet. I just need one more night with the frogs. Who does that? Who says, just give me one more day of this sin that's killing me? Come on, just give me one more day of this toxic relationship that's destroying me. Just give me one more day of this job that's sucking the soul out of me. Just give me one more day in this terrible lifestyle. No, 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 no. The Bible says old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. We are supposed to come out of that. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. But here, Peter, he was ready to go. Get ready to go even if you don't know where you're going. You see, what a great trade-off. You get dressed while God opens the doors. That's not bad. Some of you wives are like, that's what I do already. Well, I get dressed, he opens the car door. That's our thing, all right? You're still getting ready, and it's like, oh, go ahead and open the door. The Holy Spirit wants to open that door, but you've gotta be ready. I love that, it's practical. You have a part in God's problems. You always have a part. I know many of you just want God to just zap his finger, do it, but God always uses the human element. He wants to use you and I, so don't excuse yourself from the equation. He decided, yes, Lord, you can use me. 
Notice verse number 11, though. It doesn't stop there. I want you to see this. Prayer is seeing God's will done. Verse number 11, when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary. Here's a question. He's been in prison for a couple days. Scripture tells me they didn't start the prayer meeting until he was in prison. How did Peter know where to go? They didn't have visiting hours. They didn't have the little glass thing where you take the phone and say, hello, let me call my lawyer. They didn't have none of that. I've been to the Middle East. I've seen their prisons. It's a hole in the ground. They drop you in it. That's the prison. There's no visiting hours. There's nothing like this. So how did he know where the prayer meeting was going on? I think because this was the home stretch. Let me dive down on that. Because this is a home where they stretched. This is a home where they were known for stretching. And we know what stretching is. Help me out, church. What is stretching? Prayer. And my house shall be called a house of, help me out, church, prayer. Here was, he was thinking, where do I go? I'm, I'm a fugitive now. Where should I go? Where should I go? Whose house should I go to? Whose house? If I'm on the run, whose house should I go? Mary's house. They always pray over there. Man, they don't just always pray. It's, it's 3 a.m. in the morning. I bet they're praying right now. Knocks on the door. Rhoda answers, sure enough, they're praying. Sure enough, he knew where to knock. My question for you is, do you know where to knock? Do you know who's interceding? Do you know who's praying? Do you know who to go to when you're in a desperate season? You say, hey, I need some people that know how to stretch. Where's your team that helps you how to stretch? Where are the people that'll stretch with you? Where are the people that'll say, hey, you're going through cancer. You're going through a divorce. You're going through a separation. You're going through heartache. You're going through job loss. You're going through discouragement. You're going through depression. I'm going to stretch with you until this season is over. Where do you go to knock? Some of you say, I go to the bar. I go to my illicit relationship. I go to my old habits. I go to my old hangups. I go to my old sins. I go to my coping mechanism. I go to these old things. I get drunk. I get wasted. I live for the life of the devil. How many of you know where to knock in those seasons when God is stretching you, when life is stretching you? And you say, even when life is stretching me, I know where to go to. I know where to knock. Peter knew where to knock, but Peter's not the only one who knew where to knock. If you were to study the book of Daniel, there were some leaders who were jealous of Daniel's influence and his power. And they said, we know how to get Daniel. We know how to get Daniel removed. If the only way to get Daniel removed is if we get him to uh, do something wrong between him and his God. Because he's never going to break the law. He's never going to be immoral. He's never going to lie, steal, and cheat. He's not going to do that. So we got to make a law that says you can't pray to any other God but Nebuchadnezzar. Let's pray that law. And then these sneaky people said, let's watch because he always prays every day facing Jerusalem. We'll catch him then. You see, the world should know where you and I stretch. The world should be able to say every morning at 5 a.m., they stretch. Every day before they go to bed, they stretch. Every time they take a lunch break, they stretch. Every time they go through a trial, they stretch. Every time they're facing difficulty, they stretch. Every time the pressure mounts, they stretch. The world should look at us and say, I know how to accuse them. Let's accuse them in their stretching because they know how to stretch. And the world should know because they knew the church. They knew they knew that they were stretching. But what about you and I? Would somebody accuse you of stretching? 
of reaching out to God when you can't get those answers, I think we're guilty of not reaching to God, of saying, God, I'm going to reach up to you. You see, Mary's house was a house known for stretching. It was the home stretch. You see, they knew that they could count on Mary. You see, prayer is releasing God's power. You see, the only place power comes before prayer is in the dictionary. Some of us, we pray for God's power in our marriage. We pray for God's power in our parenting. We pray for God's power in our work. We pray for God's power. God, give me your power. God, give me your power. But God says the only place where you receive power is through prayer. But if you're not going to pray and say, God, I'm going to need it. If we're not falling on our knees and saying, God, I need it each and every day. I need your help, Father. Don't let me go today without it. We need a generation that stretches. And I know why we don't. You know why we don't pray? Because prayer and progress aren't always synonymous. I know, I know. I got unsafe family. I got problems. I got pressures. It'd be one thing if we could just kind of kneel down and start praying, Lord, help my bank account. I need to buy this new car. And then we look at our phone. Oh, a thousand more dollars. Lord, you know I would love to upgrade from that, you know, the Corolla to get a Lexus. Oh, it's working. You and I would pray like crazy, wouldn't we? Every time we went out to dinner, hey, babe, let's go fancy. Oh, we don't have to share. Get whatever you want. That's right. Surf and surf. Anything, baby. I got it. And you look at the bill. Oh, Lord, we need to pray. Oh, we still got to pray. Man, if progress and prayer were synonymous, where it just seemed like we prayed, and, man, there was progress, we'd have no problem praying. But here's the, the truth. Progress is happening. It's just not obvious. God is always working. God is always working. He is always on the move. He is working right now in your relationship. Because the Holy Spirit says, I am ever liveth. The Holy Spirit ever lives to make intercession for us. He never stops. There's always prayers for you. That's why some of you are in church right now. Because somebody's been praying for you. Some grandmother's been praying for you. Some mother's been praying for you. Some dear Christian's been praying for you. Some pastor's been praying for you. Some wife has been praying for you. Some husband's been praying for you. Some child has been praying for you. Some life group leader's been praying for you. Somebody's been praying for you. That's why you're here. So don't tell me there's no progress because you are here. Peter was there. He was knocking at the door. And all of them said, you got to be kidding me it worked guys they didn't even believe it was Peter progress in prayer God's always working the devil is a liar don't let him kid you into think he's not working don't let him kid you into thinking he's not moving right now in our country that he's not preparing revival that he's not getting the true Christian to wake up a little bit and stir yourselves up a little bit and shake off some of the dead religion that we had some of the dead things that we used to think were so important where we just understand that church is about God and the Bible and prayer we're just back to some basic fundamentals we're just back to some things where we used to think it was all about these other things where now we understand that we're two or three are gathered there am I in the midst and I just want to seek God I want to seek it with God's people and I just don't want to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is but so much the more as we see the day approaching that we just need to be together because this may be one of the last times and so I just want to be together with God's people and I just want to see him work I just want to see him move and God is moving you see God you say how do you know he's moving because you pray and you're stretching you know what else is stretching your faith is stretching your faith is stretching and like a muscle faith gets stronger as it's stretched it gets stronger as it's stretched. It gets more useful. You see, it was prayer 
that fetched the angel to go get Peter. But understand, God is saying, I'm moving. But I know another reason why some of us don't pray. It's because we say, is prayer worth the price? Is it worth the price? Real prayer, is it worth the price? Hours and hours of our day, hours and hours staying up, is it worth the price? Well, it's, it's your son, you tell me. You're willing to pay their college, but you won't pray for them? You bought them their first car, but you won't pray for their drug addiction to end? You tell me. It was your husband. You said, I do. You're not going to pray for him? You tell me. One time it was worth it. What happened? It was your city. You tell me. What are you willing to do? I'll tell you, there's people all across the country that are willing to do some pretty amazing things right now. Whether you agree with it or not, they're out there doing something for what they believe. What are we doing? You say, Pastor, I'm here. I know. But let's not just check the box and say, at least I did that. I think God is calling us to say, you know what? Is there more I can do? Because I'm willing to pay a price. I'm willing to pay a price. You know, the Bible says this about Moses, that after the Ten Commandments were written, he comes down off the mountain of Sinai, and he sees the nation sinning and his own brother leading them to sin, that he went back, broke the commandments, said, God, send me to hell. Don't send them. That's the price Moses was willing to pay. Moses was willing to go to hell for two million Jews who were down there fornicating, sinning, worshiping a golden calf. And they had just left Egypt. They had just crossed the Red Sea. And here his own brother's like, hey, where's some gold? Let's, let's sin. Let's do this. He's not the only one. The Apostle Paul says in the New Testament, I wish that I were accursed. Same thing. I wish that I were accursed to go to hell to save the Jews and the Gentiles. They were willing to pay a price. Are we willing to pay a price? Because prayer will cost a price. I know every parent's willing to pay the ultimate price for their children. Somebody threatening your spouse, threatening your children, I know every parent in here will lay down their life in a heartbeat for their child. But what about watching and praying all night for your child? I got another question. Why wait until they're in sin? Why not pray that they would stay away from sin? It's better to build a barrier to keep them from going off the cliff instead of waiting until they fall off the cliff. And now it's time to pray? We got a bunch of people that say, hey, as people go off the cliff, let's put ambulances at the bottom. No, no, no. Let's build a guardrail. Let's set up some convictions. Let's set up some standards, some biblical principles in their life so they know we don't go off the edge. And where are the parents willing to teach that, preach that, and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's what Josh was willing to say for his entire family and his tribe. But now we got parents that are like, you know what? I'm going to let my kids decide their own religion. Are you kidding me? This is going to offend many of you parents, and I hope it does. You're stupid, and here's why. Okay? Receive that in love. Understand, you would never, never let your child who is seven years old go to Disneyland. You say, yeah, I'd let them go to Disneyland. No, 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 no. Listen. You say, hey, we're all going to Disneyland. And then you tell your seven-year-old child, guess what? We're going to drive there. You can go too. I have your ticket. You've got to find your own way. They would die because they'd probably start. Knowing my children, they'd grab a knapsack and a water bottle and out the door they'd go. 
and they'd be just going to Disneyland. That's what they'd be doing. And then about two hours later, they'd be at Uncle Eugene's house. Like, you got some steak ready? Because I didn't make it. All right? Couldn't find Disneyland. And yet, Disneyland would be easier for your child to find than heaven and hell. And some of us are like, I'll let them, you know, I just feel like I'll let them figure this thing out. Are you kidding me? Don't shirk your responsibility. Don't punt on your responsibility to raise up your children. Children are a gift from the Lord, so raise them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Show them what prayer looks like. Show them what standards look like. Show them what biblical convictions look like. Show them what the word of God says. Don't just say, well, just go to church and hopefully you'll pick it up. No, no, no. Be a parent, accept responsibility, and say, no, no, it's my responsibility to raise you. I'm not just going to give it to the school teacher, the youth pastor, the connection pastor, the life group leader, or some other parent. No, it is my job. I'm going to stand before God for you, and so I'm going to do my job. I'm going to stand in the gap for my children, and I'm going to lead them. Hey, truth be told, we can do that for somebody else. Some of us right now are afraid to speak the truth. You can speak it in love. Jesus, the Bible says in Luke 2, 42, was filled with grace and truth. Filled with both. You can have grace and truth and still speak the truth. And I know today it doesn't seem popular to speak the truth. I know today it seems like, no, 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 we don't talk about the truth. We don't talk about things like that. But today more than ever, we have a world that's headed to hell in a handbasket. And we as the people that have the truth need a warning and just say, hey, I love you. I care about you. i got to help you from going over. But we have to be willing to pay a price. My fear is that we're not willing to pay a price. You say, but pastor, it's an awful price. Not as bad as what Jesus paid on the cross of Calvary. Three nails, one through each hand, one through his ankles. A spear into his side. He was willing to pay the ultimate price. And yet you and I cannot pray. We cannot intercede. We cannot pray for the needs of others. We cannot pay the price. You see, we need to get back to where we say, I'm willing to pay the price. And this truth has never hit me harder in this season than it has now. Because once again, I said, God, what am I willing to do? What price am I willing to pay? And so God, a couple weeks ago, said, Micaiah, you know what you need to do. You need to start another 40-day fast. Because last time, that's when I moved, when you fasted and sought me without food, when you sought me with humility, and you said, I'll go without. So why? So I can have more of God. The word says in Psalms 81, verse 10, open thy mouth wide that I might fill it. And right now, even though it's been 15 days, I have not eaten, I'm saying, God, I'm hungry for you. God, my body is weak, but God, I want you. God, whatever it takes, whatever price, because I'm willing to pay a price for my family. I'm willing to pay a price for my marriage. I'm willing to pay a price for my church. I'm willing to pay a price for my city. I'm willing to pay a price for revival. I'm willing to pay a price for people that are lost and dying and on their way to hell. My question is, what price are you willing to pay? What are you willing to give up? What are you willing to do? Because we can't have a church that says, look at our pastors and he's so good, so let me keep on sinning. Let me keep living for the devil. And maybe you haven't given yourself to the devil, but you certainly rented yourself to him long enough. And guess what? Just like the old blockbuster, rent is due. There is a late fee. Come on. Satan always wants his. It's time you say, no, I'm leaving the devil's way. I'm going to pursue God. And are you willing to pay a price? It's time to put on our shoes and say, yes, I'm willing to pay a price for Jesus, whatever that price might be. And I know it's hard. I know it's hard. Right now in the fast, I'm one-third of the way in, so it's easier to look back and quit than it is to keep going. People asked me last time, what was it like? I said, after day 20, it was okay because the end was every day closer. But there's other days. 
Like this week, my wife came over and said, you're sick. I said, no, there's a price. I need to feel weak. I've got to feel like this. Don't give me medicine. Don't. I need to be broken. I need God to break me because there's stuff in my life that I don't want anymore. I have to pay a price. I have to carry a cross. I gotta do this in this season because if not now, then when? Am I gonna wait for it to get worse? Am I gonna just hope that it's gonna get better? The Bible tells us this kind comes forth not by nothing else but by prayer and fasting because fasting breaks the hold of sin and carnality on our lives. And so this church, they decided to seek God. And our church needs to be the same where we decide we're going to seek God. You say, Pastor, what happens when we seek God? Notice verse 23 and 24. The Bible says, Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him. That's Herod, because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. Peter was supposed to be executed. Herod was supposed to live. Look who lived and look who died because of prayer. Don't tell me that prayer doesn't work. Don't tell me the prayer of your little three and four-year-old doesn't work. But then I love verse 24. But the word of God grew and multiplied. I wrote this down. For God's purpose to spread, God's people must stretch. For God's purpose to spread, God's people must stretch. Look what happened because they stretched. Look what God did. God took care of their enemies. God took his word and said, let's increase it. His word was multiplied. You know what that means? That means there were all these people, they started winning to Christ. That means what was a small gathering all of a sudden had tremendous influence and power. Because God's people were willing to pay a price. But in verse number 19, we read about another man who was willing to stretch. His name was Herod. He stretched his hand. His reach was greater. Perceptually, it was greater than what everybody else had. Because this is Herod. He's the king. But these Christians said, let's go to prayer. Because our stretch reaches up to heaven. And God's arm is not short. He can hear. So who are you going to let do the stretching? You or your enemy? You see, they said we're going to stretch. My admonishment for our church is this is a season for us to stretch. The only reason I was going to tell you about the fast is, well, last time a lot of you thought I had cancer because I lost so much weight. Didn't want you to think that. But the other reason is because I was talking to my coach about it. I meet with somebody every other week, and we talk through ministry and things like that. And he said, you know, in this season, your church needs to pray and fast. He said, every church needs to pray and fast. He said, I've been ministry for almost 40 years. And he said, I've never seen anything like this. This week, two statistics came out. It said one out of five churches after this is over will be gone. Churches were already on the decline. A separate survey said right now, one out of every five pastors is quitting or retiring. It looks on the outside like Satan is winning. 
he's gaining ground. Because when they said church is closing, that means churches will sell the properties never again. Our churches were already hurting. They were already empty. Generations were already leaving because pastors and shepherds had failed to teach the whole counsel of God. Instead, we would rather entertain and appease you and teach you things that you'd want to hear, thinking that would keep you to get you to stay. All the while, it's our fault that we lost your kids because they knew that there was nothing. It was all fluff. They knew that there was no meat. They knew it was just milk. They knew they couldn't survive on that. So they went and found something else. And so as I talked with Hal, he said, hey, you need to share that with your church that you're fasting. And I don't know if you can do a fast, but I think some of us could say, I can fast from TV. I could fast from social media because I need to fast over something. I need to pray in this hour. I need to spend more time. Even if it was one more hour a week, that would make a difference. Because we're in a time in a season church where playing games is over. It's over. A pastor in Pasadena right now has a warrant out for his arrest. It's over. A pastor in Santa Clara is getting fined $5,000 every church service. Eventually, there will be a warrant out for his arrest. There's another road pastor who's in, uh, down south in Ventura. He's in contempt of court. Why? For following their First Amendment rights, for standing up. And when it looks like Herod has stretched his arm, the Christians are doing this. Actually, they're doing this on Sunday mornings. Yeah, this is safer. I'll just watch on this. It's safer. No, it's not, my friend. No, it's not. Fear not him who can destroy the body, but fear him who can destroy the soul. For it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Where do we warn people? You say, well, they can get it online. I've told you the statistics about what's happened online. Online attendance is now down lower than it was pre-COVID. It's not, it's not better. Depression's way up. I don't need to give you those statistics. Suicide's way up. Our country's tearing itself apart. And I'm not ready to jump on your side or a different side. I'm saying I'm on the Lord's side, and I'm going to pray for everybody. Only God can heal our land. Only God can save this. And God has a prescribed method for how we do that, and that's through prayer and fasting. Jesus told the money changers, as he cast them out, what did he say? And my house shall be called the house of prayer. Not worship, not preaching. And man, we try to do the best we can with worship and preaching not children's ministry, and we try to do the best we can, but a prayer. That's why every week I try to ask another man in our church to come up and pray in our church services because I know it's what we need. You think it's something just to end the service like a benediction. No. I want our church to learn to pray, to seek God because it's stretching to the one who can save us. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up to the platform. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I've said all I can say. Holy Spirit, only you can take this message. Only you can convict the hearts. Only you can change minds. Only you can convert the lost to yourself. 
Only you can show the sinner the error of their ways. Only you can convict us of wanting to serve ourselves and turn us from ourselves to you. Only you, God, can change the vilest offender to follow you. Only you, God. Only you can save America. Only you can save California. Only you can save this world. Only you, Savior. It's only you. And God, it's your people that'll get on their knees and pray and seek you and cry out to God. For they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. And God, we're a people that we want to reap. We want you to saturate this place with your presence. God, we want you to sweep our city with a revival that outmatches any riot or protest on the street where people are shocked and awed by what is happening because there is a revival. It's a revival where people are God-hungry again, where we fear God in this country again, where we lay down the arms and we once again are united, God, where we pursue you, where we don't let anything get in between our pursuit of you. God, would your people, which are called by your name, humble themselves and seek your face. God, would you call us to this? Would you help us as a church to pay the price? Would all of you please stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? Our altar call is a sacred time in our service. It's a time where we cry out to God, where we kneel down here at the old altar, because at this church, we believe an altar can alter our lives. We believe at the altar, chains are broken. We believe at the altar, there are Peters that are set free. We believe at the altar, there are doors and gates that open of their own accord. Because at the altar, we believe that the enemy has no power. Because at the altar, the enemies of the cross must flee. Because at the altar, blind eyes are open. At the altar, everyone kneels in surrender and humility to you. And so at this time, as the worship team leads us, I'm inviting you to come to the altar. Maybe it's to pray, or maybe it's to receive Jesus as your personal Savior. But wherever you are, I invite you to come now and seek God. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.